Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Electric, Wealthfront, and Brava. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, Executive Director of Rebellion Pack, and Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. And we have a very exciting special show for you tonight because uh, The Dropout is debuting this week on Hulu. And we got to watch it ahead of time. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we're psyched about it. And we also got to interview Rebecca Jarvis, uh, whose longtime listeners will recognize as a person who was on the show before. But she was on the show because she hosted the Dropout podcast for ABC. Um, She's been on following the Theranos story for so long Um, and she was also the executive producer on the show. So we were able to interview her. Uh, Her full work fancy title is she is the chief business economics and technology correspondent for ABC News. Um, And so like she is one of the main people that has expertise and was like on the ground following the story of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. So we were super excited to get to talk to her. You know, worth mentioning, like right after uh, we interviewed her for the for the first season of this, she goes on maternity leave. She has a child, and then what does she do? She creates like a, a fantastic television <laughs> show, like just on the side, along with uh, raising a newborn. That's, yeah, that's uh, incredible. You know, I can't even beat Godfrey in <laughs> in Elder Ring. You know, like so. I'm. I'm I, I don't even know about freaking Godric yet. I'm still on Margaret. Uh, but we will be talking about that later. So listeners, what we're going to do here is we're going to have you listen to the interview that we did with Rebecca Jarvis, and then we're going to come back and we are going to talk about our impressions of the dropout. The first three episodes of the show come out on Hulu on March 3rd. Um, and then the rest, there are eight episodes in total. Uh, what we haven't seen is the last freaking one. Yeah, so. we, we, they, they, they let us do the first seven. And um, I've been like very upset. I've been like checking like the screener's account. I'm like, are, are we going to get this drop? Will Come there on. be? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but that's only fair. It's only fair. No, it's not fair. It's <laughs> day is not. I was going to okay, say, look, I, was like, well, I need to know how this story ends. I mean, we know how it ends, but, yeah, but like, I, I want to see it. Exactly what oh is going to happen. Uh, all right. So without further ado, let us listen to our interview with Rebecca Jarvis, executive producer of Hulu's The Dropout. We are here with Rebecca Jarvis. Rebecca, you, of course, were responsible for the great Dropout podcast, and you are an executive producer on the new Hulu show. Uh, To just start us off in brief, can you tell us what that role entails? Sure. Well, years of research uh, went into the Dropout podcast. I started this project many years ago and spent a lot of the time out investigating, interviewing sources, going to Palo Alto. Um, At a point in my life, it was every trip that I was taking out to Palo Alto to cover Facebook or Google or Apple, I also met up with somebody from Elizabeth Holmes's orbit while I was out uh, west coming from New York. And I spent a number of years cultivating sources and putting together material and interviewing people. And then a number, uh, almost a year of writing, uh, putting the actual podcast itself together. And a lot of that time was spent at my kitchen table in New York. Um, 
And then the podcast came out and it's, it's crazy that this was now three years ago that the podcast came out and people were listening to it, which it's a very strange thing to go from. And I'm sure you know this because of, of your work with this podcast, you, you do this work and you do it either alone or with a handful of people and you have no idea how audiences are going to receive it. And in the early days of the dropout, each episode would come out and we would say to each other, the team and I would say to each other, this mu- this is going to be the week that people stop listening. This is going to be the mm. week that people are... I mean, we were endlessly fascinated. And that for me is why I pursued this story because I stayed up at night thinking about Elizabeth Holmes and all the questions that I had that were going unanswered in her interviews in the press. And I, I just, I couldn't... It, it was something I couldn't shake. And so the podcast came out. Um, there was great interest in taking it and turning it into some sort of limited series. And when Searchlight came along and Hulu came along with interest and they brought in Liz Merriweather to run the whole thing and write the whole thing, who is a brilliant storyteller, um, it, it just seemed like a wonderful match. And it's interesting, her process in so many ways was similar to the process of a journalist. She had listened to the podcast and absorbed so much material, but she too still had questions. And so she went out and she spoke to sources. We spent so much time talking about what the story was, what we had learned. And then she went out and wrote it. And Amanda Seyfried came in and just did an incredible job. I, I visited the set a few months back and the first time I saw Amanda, she had her back turned towards me and she was in, she was in costume and it was, it was a surreal, almost chilling moment because the mannerisms, even without hearing the voice, even without seeing, uh, a, a scene play out, she was completely in character. And for me, after spending so much time watching every deposition tape, watching every interview, uh, going to some of uh, Elizabeth's speeches and public events over the years and seeing this, this person in person to then see the portrayal was just a, a remarkable moment for me. No, I, I think that's great. I I was curious, kind of on that same note, and I have to imagine that was surreal. You spend all this time working on this. You you're obsessed with watching, uh, you know, the the deposition tapes, and then to see it all come together. But there's kind of another element to this too that I was thinking about. You know, the show is told as it takes place from like 2003 through, I guess, like 2015, and and you were covering tech during a lot of the moments depicted in the show, like especially in the the latter half. How did that feel like to watch that back? You know, especially since you were living through that time you know, at the time as, as a reporter? Yeah, it, it's such an interesting question because I think part of what also attracted me to this story in the first place was the ecosystem surrounding it. Elizabeth Holmes herself is a fascinating character. She is an enigma. She's not a character. She's a human being, but she's an enigma. And there is this entire world that lives around her from Silicon Valley to the media to the world that we now inhabit where young people can be given millions or even billions of dollars to create companies. And I was really interested in looking at at both her story, but also her story in the larger context. And this idea that 
in many ways, Silicon Valley is this very ubiquitous thing in our lives. We use the technology every day. And yet it's for, for many people who live outside of Silicon Valley, who work outside of Silicon Valley, it's still a black box in terms of how things work, how things operate. And I think digging into that, looking at that culture, um, there are so many, and, and this is something that we talked a lot about during the podcast, there's, there are questions about whether or not Elizabeth Holmes was of Silicon Valley or the outsider in Silicon Valley. And, and I, I'm mm. sure that you've heard from many people in Silicon Valley, they will be very quick to distance themselves from her. The, the venture capital, biotech venture money largely did not invest in Theranos. At the same time, for a moment in time, she was being celebrated and being accepted into some of the highest echelons of Silicon Valley. So as an outsider looking in, uh, to not to not sort of fundamentally have a sense of how funding works and going from seed to A to B to, you know, someday hopefully IPOing, to be outside of that world and to just be purely looking at this person who was at every party, accepted at the table of a lot of who we might perceive as the the most powerful people in Silicon Valley, it would be hard to totally extract her from that world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, the first episode when I watched it, I was, I was, uh, I was really surprised. It's kind of sympathetic to Holmes, which is obviously not the way the series uh, progresses as you watched it. But it really fleshes out her her background and her childhood and her early experiences in college in ways that I I just was not aware of, uh, despite, you know, covering this story, uh, over and over and over, uh, in particular, the, the pilot episode goes into, uh, the trip where she meets, uh, Balwani. And I just wanted to know, can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the process of researching that and kind of putting those early experiences together? Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the, the, the interesting things about this series there's this podcast that a lot of people have consumed and a lot of people who consume the podcast also spent a lot of time consuming other material on Elizabeth Holmes. But Liz Merriweather and the team, they really wanted to to think about new questions and new areas and explore new things. And so they talked to their own sources and went out and cultivated this story to try to really get on the other side of what was on Elizabeth's mind? Who was Elizabeth Holmes on the other side of this story? We have this public record of sources and deposition tapes and all the things that you heard and saw in the podcast. And what Elizabeth and the team went out and did was research it and and go even deeper and understand it try to, on a level, understand it from the vantage point of Elizabeth Holmes and also from the vantage point of people like Phyllis Gardner, uh, the Stanford professor who is is very much a hero of the story, who, who originally said to Elizabeth Holmes, your idea, it's really out there. It's really hard to accomplish. I've spent my entire career dedicated mm-hmm. to accomplishing big things. And Erica Chung, the whistleblower, mm-hmm. who very bravely went out and put her neck on the line um, in the face of, of very severe, potentially severe consequences. Yeah. I was wondering, so part of this whole conversation uh, that is threaded throughout the show is 
this I this precedent that Elizabeth Holmes sets with Theranos, where she does lie and scam people. And Phyllis Gardner even tells her, like, you have you're you are going to set women in tech back. This is what you are doing when you you uh fail so publicly. Can you talk a little bit about the effects that the Theranos case has had on on women uh, getting VC funding for their startups? Well, there are certainly women in Silicon Valley who have said, uh, this has made it harder for me to go out and raise funding. I think part of what drew so much attention to Elizabeth Holmes early on was that she was an outlier. She was able to do what very few other women have done, which is to raise almost a billion dollars in funding. Now, the majority of that funding came more from what we would consider to be home offices, highly uh, wealthy individuals like Rupert Murdoch and the DeVos family, Betsy DeVos's family, the Waltons, the family behind Walmart. But because she was an outlier, she got a lot of attention early on. And maybe on the flip side, because she was an outlier, she's getting attention as well. Yeah, no, I think that's that's something that I think a lot about too, is is to what role that that has played in all of it. I definitely think there's something there. But one thing I did want to ask you, you know, um, we talk. The show is obviously about Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is is I think most of us would agree like the most interesting character in all of this. But Sunny remains sort of a cipher in in all the various tellings of the Theranos sagas. Not just you know this show, but uh, podcasts, other books, other documentaries. Um, we got some glimpses of his relationship with Elizabeth in the show and, and his managerial style, but I never get the sense of who he is. Was that also your experience, you know, covering and researching the story? Did did you ever get a, a sense that you actually got a, a good feel for who Sunny Balwani is? It's interesting. He has almost zero digital footprint. If you Google his name right now, you're unlikely to really find any pictures of Sunny Balwani, um, let alone stories. There are sources whom the team and I spoke to over the years who knew Sunny along the way. But it's very hard to find people who are are in his orbit right now. And as I'm sure you know, he'll see his own trial um, later in March. And there are real questions right now about what role Elizabeth may be playing in that trial. Mm -hmm. A number of legal experts have suggested that it's highly probable that she is talking to government prosecutors right now about playing some role in providing information. And it also is likely because her sentencing has been pushed till uh, the end of September of this year, which is an indication that they're going to wait until after Sonny's trial, perhaps even after his sentencing to sentence her. At the same time, those legal experts whom I've spoken to, they believe that she will see jail time, whether or not there's some sort of plea deal that gets worked out here. And one of the reasons is the size of the crime that she's been convicted Mm -hmm. of. There are thresholds in terms of the sentencing guidelines. And once you hit $60 million, you're the the threshold it, the sentencing guidelines go much higher so you end up seeing higher jail time and i've i've talked to a lot of legal experts and they are kind of all over the map in terms of how much time she will actually serve but somewhere in the 3 to 5 year range seems to be the number that 
And again, I'm talking about a dozen or so legal experts, but that's about the range of a dozen or so legal experts. And the people who who listen to the podcast, like Elaine Kreitzberg, people who listen to our podcast will know some of these legal names like Elaine Kreitzberg, um, Ellen Kreitzberg, rather, um, Dan Abrams of ABC News, um, Caroline Polisi. These are all people who were contributors to the podcast along the way and have weighed in. Well, Bree and I have a bet about uh, whether or not she will see the jail time. <laughs> oh, and what so, is it? Well, I, I have bet her, we've bet $500. I've bet that she will what? not. Um, and uh, Bree has bet that she will. Um, yep. So I, I, I will be honest. I won't be mad if I if I have to lose $500 this way, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I just, yeah. Is that in crypto or USD? USD. Uh, yeah. USD. <laughs> USD. Although if no, we'd make... Uh, <laughs> I think I do want the I want the NFTs, uh, Christina. Please, if you could do that, that'd be oh, amazing. Can I give it to you in Dogecoin? I still have some of that from last year. <laughs> yes, that is the ideal. It's the future of money. Um, I wanted to ask a uh, it, it may be a sillier question, but you know, all of us here on Rocket, we are Apple mega fans. Uh, so, you know, most shows when I watch them and they're set in the past, you know, Christina, I will sit there. We'll be like, that's not what that iPhone was like that year. Or, <laughs> you know, that's not the right operating system for you know 2002. We didn't have that back then. And as best as I could tell watching the dropout, um, you don't have a single error there. As a matter of fact, you have a, a scene that's set in an Apple store that is just <laughs> fascinating how accurate it is. I mean, down to the color of the wood on the table. So I wanted to ask what the, the process was of kind of <laughs> nailing all the, the devices and the the feel from that time. Because I'm guessing you don't call Apple up and say, hey, we need uh, the whole set to an Apple store. I think they'd probably say like, that's proprietary, you know? As far as I know, yes. there were no calls to Tim Cook made. Yes, um, yes. You know, I, I think that the team that worked on this from Searchlight what they were meticulous in the details and as as someone who's now watching all of this it's such a it's such a profound and incredible experience to see the original podcast material taken to another level by this team um and and I I hear you on the details because as somebody who's covered tech and spent a lot of time inside of Apple stores Sometimes um, next to Tim Cook, it's the kind of thing that I, would drive me nuts as well. So it's a, uh, it's really, I, I'm just, I'm very proud of what the team did on this project. Yeah, it was, it was truly incredible. It was one of those things, like, like Brie was saying, I, I'm almost like weirdly obsessive about that sort of thing, and, and I was so impressed. I was like, oh wow, whoever was the technical advisor on this, yeah. every yeah. detail, well, completely they, correct. I mean, there's just so much research. We, we had so much research for the podcast itself that the, the visual things, for example, we tried every episode to describe visual details like Elizabeth's office and what it looked like and what a staff meeting looked like. But there's only so much you can do with words. We also obviously had the source material to back that up, the pictures mm -hmm. of, of these various mm -hmm. things. And um, when I did a set visit, um, a few months ago, it was set inside of an old office building. And I walked through Elizabeth's office and Sonny's office. And like there were, and, and the, the big, the broader offices, there were sitting next to different desks. There were post-it notes that had writing on them. I mean, this was just one of those attention to detail projects where 
I can I can vouch for the fact that we did a huge amount of that with the podcast, but the team just went out and made sure that every T was crossed and I dotted. That's amazing. I want to ask, was there like one specific detail that you were especially invested in getting right? Like whether it was 2000s fashion or the phones or whatever, was there one thing that was like your pet project? Not pet well, project, the, but... The- the fa- like the vibe of the moment was always really important to me. And for me, the vibe of the moment is also music. And mm-hmm. I always, Ooh. when I would write the podcast, I would have certain songs in my head that I felt might have been playing. And of course, there's that moment that's described in the podcast where she's in her car listening to really loud hip hop music. And so there's, there's, I think music makes a time. And I, th- some of my favorite films that, I've watched over the years lean into that. And that was a part of this that I think they really also leaned into. And it's, it's so, it's really cool to see. You're 100% spot on there. The music really, really stands out and kind of tied to that is this more socially awkward version of Elizabeth Holmes than I've seen in say, um, John Kerry Rue's reporting, or even in your own podcast, like seeing her embodied, uh, by Amanda, it's kind of, it's a very different experience. Um, And she's very, very socially awkward. I wanted to ask you what role you see her personality and that awkwardness playing in this story now that we're finally seeing it with our eyes. I think the the founder personality and the myth of the founder is, it's so hard to, to fully touch, but it's such an important aspect of why we're drawn to various leaders. Um, I, I don't know what, ju- it just came to my mind the the like old videos of Jeff Bezos, for example, mm-hmm. and that personality, even though he would talk business in, and, and I, you know, I was back at CNBC in some of the earlier days of Amazon. And I remember interviews that he would do and that personality really came through in some of the early Mark Zuckerberg interviews. I still mm-hmm. to, the, to this day, obviously it's the cult of personality that follows these various leaders around, but there's, they're human. Um, in addition to being sort of superhuman because of what they've achieved. And I just, that to me, that's an interesting playground that they were able to really dig deeper into that as a journalist, I'm giving you what I can see and what is reportable. And they have just a really big canvas to play with. Um, and and then the conversations that they had with sources and, and all of that just gives them even more creativity there. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. I mean, so I, I have to ask, and, and, and um, you know, obviously the, the show uh, covers the first season of, of the, the Dropout podcast and the things that led Elizabeth Holmes to where she was before she went on trial, but you've since had a second season of the, of the podcast. There's also been a trial and the conviction we're awaiting the sentencing. Um, do you have any plans or any hopes of making a second series focused on the trial and the aftermath? Wow. That's up to, that's up to the team. Searchlight. I mean, um, I wouldn't knock it, but I think it's, it was for me covering the trial has also just been its own wild experience, um, especially to see Elizabeth Holmes day in and day out at the trial. Mm -hmm. And um, so 
so I do think there's a lot of material there to flesh out, and especially the time that she spent, the seven days she spent on the stand testifying, um, and all the people who came in. I mean, General James Mattis um, coming into the courtroom when no one was quite sure who this VIP was, and Erica Chung and Adam Rosendorf, um, and and so many of the investors who, in their own words, talked about what they saw and heard, um, and also, you know. The jurors are such an obviously important part of all of this, too. And our conversations and interviews with the jurors after the trial verdict, they took their job so seriously. And when I went into covering the trial, a lot of people said, it's a long trial. Watch the jurors. They're going to fall asleep. They're going to doze off. Mm-hmm. This jury never did that. They they paid attention, and but they never gave anything away. There were no laughs. There were no shutters. There, there was nothing. But post-verdict, our conversations, they they made me see the depth of consideration that they put into those four guilty counts. That is very interesting to me. I, I am thinking back to uh, the O.J. Simpson series that aired where there was a whole episode devoted to the jury. And that's something I would love to see for uh, yeah, potential yeah. future. Well, they, same, they described same. it to us like they, they, when they would deliberate, they would all inhabit the courtroom and they all had different places and um, they, they would trade off who sort of got to sit in Judge Davila's area of the really? courtroom as they were. And they loved, they did puzzles together. Oh, um, oh that's fun. And, yeah. Behind the scenes, they did puzzles together. They ordered the same thing every single day, um, turkey and ham sandwiches, not mixed together. You had your option. And I think there was a vegetarian option as well. And everybody stuck to basically the same sandwich every day. And the way they described it is that they they really became kind of a family. And, and you have to think about the fact that this trial went on for many months mm-hmm. and it went on over the holidays and then into the new year, the deliberations went. Um, so yeah, that behind the scenes portion of all of this fascinated at the very, we, we did the interviews with the, with the jurors, obviously right before our final episode. And that was just completely eye-opening to hear how they both pursued the, the verdict from a really serious standpoint, but also how they interacted with each other from mm-hmm. a more life standpoint. Ooh. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, so final question. Uh, the one I wanted to ask you was, where do you plan to hang your Emmy? But I know you're far no. too modest to answer that. Uh, it really is an amazing show. You should be very, very proud of it. No, I wanted to ask, um, I'm a huge fan, unlike my co-hosts here, of Heather Poole, aka Rasselcon, the, uh, <laughs> the Bitcoin rapper. And I wanted to ask, do you think that you could potentially turn the Bonnie and Clyde of Bitcoin into into another podcast. Do you think there's enough there that you could turn that into another uh, similar series? Well, I am fascinated by um, what Heather and her husband Dutch were actually doing and the allegations that they laundered all of that Bitcoin <laughs> are fascinating. I think to me, I think one of the key questions there is who was the actual source of the hack? Because Thank we you. don't yes. know that yep, based exactly. on what yep. what the DOG has put for DOJ has put forward. Um, there's potentially international connections to this story, uh, given Dutch's background and um, some things that I've been learning recently about Heather as well. Potentially, 
So I do think that it is a fascinating story. And I also think that it's it's important to understand a lot about the world of crypto. And I think we're just sort of scratching the surface right now. Um, mm. You guys are so deep in it every day. And I love that. And I'm I spend a lot of time understanding it, trying to understand it myself. But I'm also fascinated by the number of people who don't seem to have a lot of research or a lot of background who come to me and say, uh, do I sell all of my Dogecoin? Should I buy Bitcoin? And it's kind of like, well, what do you know about Dogecoin? What do you know about Bitcoin? And what a lot of people know is that somebody who knows somebody told them to buy it. And that for me is a world and an ecosystem that's really important to dig into and to understand more about. Mm-hmm. I just think with the level of reporting you've done here, if you had to do that kind of research about her rap, on on Instagram. I don't know. I think that there's some some regulation about workplace abuse that may come into uh, effect there. It just seems like an unpleasant way to spend time, but I would still watch it. I would. Oh, well, I'm I'm thrilled to hear you think so. And I genuinely appreciate both of you being interested in this project. And I know you've been supporters of the work in the podcast for a long time. And I, I just really appreciate it because... I, I, it just, it, it, for me, this whole process has been a reminder of the importance of the pursuit of truth, the importance of the pursuit of curiosity. And as a journalist, it's a reminder to me to not give up on those stories and to just keep going. Um, Mm. because I just, I believe that it's, it's really important and it's the role that we all have to play as journalists to, to go out and, and really get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Hey there. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Electric. If you're striving to build a small business into an empire, you're going to want to hear this because you know that one second you're dreaming up the big idea that's going to double your business, and the next second you're cleaning spilled latte out of your intern's laptop because that is the reality of being a boss. The team over at Electric know small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. So instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that dang empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to doing what you are good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Uh, Speaking as a person on the needing IT services end of this equation, I'm obnoxious. And like I, I worked at a company that has an IT department and those people were running around all day like being yelled at. And obviously, if you're the boss, people can't yell at you, but they're going to be mad at you. <laughs> you. Give that problem to someone else. Let somebody else handle the emotional stress of your employees not being able to get into their dang laptops. Electric is that service for you. For Rocket listeners, Electric are offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash rocket to set it up. That is electric.ai slash rocket to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show. Those those are legit headphones. I love those. Yeah, I want those headphones. 
also I want someone else to be able to be able to be the person that you yell at and not not your poor IT. Truly, department. I like the way <laughs> that I've seen people treat IT professionals is uh, saddening. Actually, with uh, some of our listeners probably work in IT and they know this. Um, hey, okay, listen, it's time to talk about what we think about the dropout. Oh, so yes, you've just heard our interview with Rebecca Jarvis. Uh, who truly has uh, such a firm grasp on all of the details of the Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos story. Um, and I she, think she got the deposition tapes. Yeah. Uh, uh, listeners might recall from our, our first interview with her, uh, but that was one of the big scoops that she got for uh, her reporting. She got the deposition tapes, which, of course, we see kind of recreated in the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we talk a little bit about what the first well, before, three episodes Before covered. we talk about yeah. it, I need some ground rules. Uh, so we can we talk about the whole series? Like, we can only talk about the pilot, right? Or, because we've all, like, we all mainlined the first all the ones we had three episodes to, will right? be out the day that we drop this. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I think they're, they're, for the sake of our listeners and also for, I think, our embargo guidelines, no, like, huge spoilers, especially about later show stuff. Yeah, because there's one moment later on I really want to talk about and can't. <laughs> I know y'all do oh, too. But I can um, imagine yes. what that might yes. be. But we're not going to yes. let's yes. not tease people too much. Um, oh, so the first three episodes of the show. Uh, for those of you who might be tuning in today, we'll we'll do like a, a very light summary of it. Basically, cover. Uh, let's see, Elizabeth Holmes's like childhood, uh, leading up through her time uh, in university and basically starting the company that becomes Theranos, correct? Yes. All right. Um, including like encountering a lot of the characters that will or characters and you know real people that will become be important through the series, uh, like the the scientists that will help her create the blood testing devices or that rather create the blood testing devices on uh after her ideas, um, as well of as of course Sunny Belwani. Um, and the uh, university professor who is very critical of uh, her her ambition to kind of get not get rich quick because that's not quite what she wants, but to like to build a legacy quick. Yeah, she she wants to go really fast. She yeah. she has these these great ideas, but I mean, and that honestly goes into the title of the first episode, which is "I'm in a hurry." And that is kind of her whole kind of modus operandi, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that's kind of the thesis, I think, for Elizabeth Holmes is that she's in a hurry to build this legacy and to accomplish what she wants to accomplish as quickly as possible, even if that's not practical or feasible. Yeah, yeah. What did you uh, What did you like about these episodes? What was your impression of them, Christina? So I really liked, um, I think that tonally they got a lot of stuff correct, especially about that time period. You know, um, I'm like the exact same age as Elizabeth Holmes. So it was weird in some senses, like watching, um, uh, especially, you know, some of like the Stanford stuff and like listening to, you know, the, the music choices that they chose uh, that are, are also of that time and having my own kind of flashbacks of college in that time period. Um, I really liked how they seemed to completely capture the the time and 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 that carries through throughout the series. I also feel like they you immediately have a good sense of who the characters are uh and um it, even like the the secondary characters. Um 
but it was it was interesting because the first episode, especially, I think that people who are more familiar with the Theranos story, as the three of us are, might be a little bit surprised because, as Brie mentioned in in her, uh, you know, uh, in her, one of her questions to Rebecca, she is portrayed. Elizabeth Holmes does have kind of a sympathetic bent to her in the beginning. And and that I that I was not expecting. I was not expecting um, there to be anything kind of uh, you know where you kind of feel sorry for her a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. and that uh, you know maybe kind of because I do know the story so well it made me kind of question. Okay, well how how are they going to play this throughout the series? I'm, I won't ruin uh, things except to say that I think they handle it well. But that was one of the things that was I think a good surprise. Uh, and. Um, I'll also say what surprised me and what I enjoyed about the series, you know, originally I think that the idea was maybe to make this more of a comedy because, um, uh, mm-hmm. Kate McKinnon had been cast before she had to drop out for some other projects, no pun intended. Uh, Michael Showalter is, is one of the directors on the series and one of the, and he is, is of course from the state and from, you know, um, uh, what hot American summer. And so you can see how they have very funny actors in this. You can see how this could have gone into a campy direction, um, which which I think is is more uh, certainly what Super Pumped is kind of doing. But they didn't do that, and I thought that was really interesting, given um, the people involved and and given like what they could have done. They could have they could have made leaned into to this being a comedy and kind of making fun of some of the ridiculousness. And instead, there is a wryness to the show, but but it's it's you know a lot of it is played pretty straightforward, which I, I wasn't expect, which I would not necessarily expect just looking at, at the names of some of the people involved with it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, I, I think it's really interesting to see the differences in how they kind of took these same, uh, events versus John Kerry Rue. Uh, you know, Sonny Balwani, for, for example, comes off, I think, a lot better on the dropout than he did in Bad Blood. You know, not to say he comes off well in either, but um, you know, they certainly don't. Um, they don't play up some of the the abusive aspects of working with him in the same way, uh, at least that we saw uh, in those first three episodes. Um, you know, Simone, there was a question you asked in in the interview that was so insightful, and it it really changed how I saw this show and why I think it works. And your question was, uh, you know, Amanda Seyfried, her her take on Holmes is just kind of flat out weird. And right after you asked that question, I watched a uh, YouTube clip, we'll leave it in the show notes, of uh, Amanda Seyfried uh, basically talking to Jimmy Kimmel about uh, the premiere of Mean Girls and how she didn't have a, a dress for it at the time. And, you know, it's like a 10-minute interview. And I got to tell you, she's weird. She's weird the same way you are weird. And I mean that as a compliment. (laughs) Like she goes into stories about like going and like secretly filming her friends and playing it back to them in like awkward situations. And I'm like, that's really weird, Amanda Seyfried. And I think that is the gloriousness of why this works so well because she is freaking awesome 
awkward in every single yeah. scene. Yes. She doesn't respond to things in a way that makes any emotional sense. And the whole time you're watching it, like you're like, is she just oblivious? Is she a psychopath? Like, what's going on here? And it's that weirdness to to the actress, I think, that's really why she's she's done this so successfully. Yeah, I it, I loved Rebecca's answer to that too because I, I I felt like I I kind of took her not not off guard because I don't think she gets off guard but she seemed to really reflect uh, on on that question and like the question of the cult of personality behind these these figures and I think that's one thing that made Elizabeth Holmes so compelling is like here you have this strong kind of off-putting personality but it's a woman for once um and unfortunately she was not the next steve jobs um <laughs> i i think my my impressions of the first three episodes i think i was a little colder on the first three than the two of you were and i ended up coming around to it by the end of the show um i think as that as you pointed out christina like it it's set up to potentially have the it has the dna of a potential silicon valley comedy and it becomes as it goes on more darkly funny i think my initial um difficulty with sinking into the first three episodes was just how much ground it has to cover in that time because we're getting her like we're we're opening with her as like a teenager in high school um, and like setting up to go to college and we're just covering years and years and years and the later in the series we are covering years but it's a little more stable because it, there's always Theranos like Theranos exists at this point there is a goal and it's to protect the secret <laughs> of the these tests being a lie um and I, I, I think, and I, I need to think more on this because I, I wonder how much of it was my surprise, uh, as you both said, at it being so firmly rooted in Elizabeth Holmes at the beginning. Because I definitely feel like as it unravels, we get more and more perspectives and we stay longer in perspectives of other people and we're less understanding of what she is doing. And I, I think beca- that's because... At that point, you know, what she's doing, as as we know from following the case, is wrong. It's wrong. But at that point, in the beginning of her career and at the beginning of her life, she is very young. She's very naive. Um, and she has this goal that is all-consuming for her. Um, so, it, yeah, it was interesting and discomforting to be in that perspective, knowing what then would go on to happen. Um yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how y'all feel, but I really liked Elizabeth Holmes for the first couple of episodes, right? Like she's she's likable. Like she's a startup type. We we run into this all the time in Silicon Valley. She's she's sincere. She's hard-headed and not listening to people, but I I thought this was it was very Macbeth in in yeah. the way Ooh. like you see her slowly corrupted 100% uh, in making a decision it gets worse and worse i mean did you did you feel that way christina 100% and then the back thing was is obviously a very spot on analogy you know uh with the you know out damn spot and whatnot. so that's that's perfect 
I would say now I personally, I don't know if I would go as far as saying I found her likable. I found her relatable. Uh, I could, I could understand where she was. I don't know if, if I think she's kind of a, a weirdo and like kind of weird on the social skills stuff. I, I like, I don't think I would ever want to hang out with her. Um, there, there's, there's a scene in the first episode where, um, when she meets Sunny Balwani for the first time they're in China and she's sort of othered and kind of an outcast by the, the other, um, American or, or English speaking, um, girls who are there. And, and she clearly is, is driven and is focused in a way that they are not. And I totally would have been the other girls on the bed who were like, not even knowing how to deal with her. I'm just to be completely honest, right. That, that totally would have been me. I would have been in that other position, but I did find her relatable. And I, I, I also, what I did, what, what I enjoyed insofar as I think it made me think about the story a little bit differently, even though we know how it ends, is that, and and I think this is an important distinction to have when when we talk about like the Theranos scam versus some other things, is that it it, it has never struck me ever, whereas like she had this idea um, always to be deceitful. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seemed like, you know what I mean? Like, like she did it, she did want to actually achieve something and thought that she could. And made decisions that ended up being, um, you know, uh, a, a fraud, uh, you know, as she was found guilty. But I, like, I, I never got the sense even in the beginning that like this whole thing was, I didn't think of it like an Anna Delvey, where Anna Delvey from the beginning knew that she was a liar and was was pulling one over on people, right? Yeah. I, th- yeah. I, I always felt like, like a lot of Elizabeth Holmes' thing was a lot more self-deception. And I think that the way that it portrayed her, especially in the first three episodes where you do see how the company was not a success at first, it struggled and the struggles they were having, I found that very relatable. And I felt like that did maybe shift my perspective a little bit on her and on the saga because that is the most Silicon Valley thing I think about the whole, about about all of it. Um, it it's not so much, you know, that it was a tech company, biotech and this and that. It's the fact that, you know, like she you know, kind of had to, you know, make certain promises or make certain things to try to get something done. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, go time and it's not ready. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like that, that's a, a very common thing that we've seen play out over and over again successfully in Silicon Valley. And so that changed my framing uh, in my own head, I think a little bit more about the saga. It certainly didn't make me like absolve her for, for any of the stuff that she's done. But it did make me look at the at the whole saga, I think, a little bit differently. And and I didn't expect that. I, and I didn't expect to get that perspective, I think, from a television show, given as much media I've, I've read and listened to about it. Yeah, I want to say, I, I, for listeners who might be on the fence, I think I can firmly say, like, it doesn't take her side in the way that inventing no. Anna becomes sort of a, like... A, girl boss <laughs> Anna was right uh story um it, it it's much it actually successfully holds in it holds these two ideas of like she did wrong things but she was not like born a force of evil and malevolence like it, it holds right. in in sympathy like a person can be a human being and make mistakes and a person can do things that are wrong and harm people um which i i think is um, it's, it's skillful, especially with a story like this, which is like, as we've seen from a lot of uh, media these days, and again, not to bring up inventing, inventing Anna, but like there, there's a, a tendency to want to kind of flatten 
these ideas yes. and like I, make an evil word, woman or make you li- a girl boss yes, woman. Um, and totally. You yeah. literally took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say yeah. everything. It, this wasn't flat. This was nuanced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Brianna, you asked a really good question that I also wanted to come back to of Rebecca, uh, which was about Sonny Balwani um, and what a cipher he is. Because that's something that I had not really considered before is that. That was me. He. Oh, are you sure? That was you? I'm Amazing. I'm positive. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Who are you two? Um, yes. Because he, he truly is um, a person that has kind of receded into the background as a personality. I I imagine just because he's not as much an iconic figure as Elizabeth Holmes is. Like, she's an attention-grabbing, like, idea. Um, and did this, did the show offer, like, any, like, what clarity did the show offer to you about Sonny? Well, I mean, speaking for myself, I feel like John Kerry, Bruce Buck, I mean, went into a lot more detail about Sonny Balwani, right? Like, I don't want to spoil the episode, I mean, the future episodes, but, um, you know, there are a lot of incidents from Bad Blood that just flat out are not in the show. Um, in fact, uh, it's more centered on, um, I don't know the actor's name, I'm sorry, he played the president on uh, the Prime Minister of Britain in 24, he's the blood uh, the blood lab guy. Um, oh, Sorry, I'm blanking. Steve, yes. Uh, Stephen Fry? Yes, yes, Stephen Fry. Um, you know, it kind of, he's more of the, uh, he's more of the focus on all of these, uh, that kind of internal uh, struggle at the company to to get the, the testing out uh, into, you know, uh, Theranos' kind of hyper-secret activity. He really, he's more of the cipher for that. So I, I feel like we got less clarity on, on that in particular. Um, I'd love to talk about the quality of the actors for this show. I mean, you have you have some really, really, really good people here. We have two people that played the president on the show. I don't know if y'all watch Homeland, <laughs> yep. but the woman that played uh, President Keene, she uh, she plays Elizabeth Holmes's mom on this, oh. and just overall the uh, Oscar the supporting winner, cast. William H. Macy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's in it. Like the supporting cast of this show is extremely, extremely strong. And, you know, I, I didn't want to say this in front of Rebecca, but I, I really enjoyed this so much more than Vanny Anna. It just just exponentially because it was so grounded in reality. It's so obvious they did their homework. It's higher caliber actors overall. And I think this is this is work that is gonna stand the test of time. It's not a trashy series that is gonna be here and gone on Netflix. I know I'm gonna watch this repeatedly because it really is that good to me. Mm-hmm. And it it's still a little bit weird, which is the thing that I was most yes. surprised by. Like it it doesn't have to it me at least funny. a streamer sheen to it. Totally, yeah. It and I mean part of that is because of the events that it covers, which are can be bizarre. Um, but yeah, yeah. That was that was a pleasant surprise for me. Was just like kind of getting comfortable with how odd the show is going to be. Um, in a good way. That's a the positive thing for me, I think. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to spoil it, but um in the fourth episode is when we're introduced to um Alan Ruck, who of course we we know most recently from from being um uh on a, a succession. Um and and his the character that he plays is 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 this Walgreens executive, and there's just some very 
very funny in in a completely kind of unexpected way stuff that happens with that 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 I really really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some music cues. There's like a musical moment with that that I that I really really liked. Yeah, I think we can talk briefly about some of the music cues because uh, this is a very music driven show and a lot of the needle drops are very on the nose. Yes, and that was something that I felt. I was not totally like, oh, yeah, every time. But like they do a lot of very apt contemporary music, like contemporary to the time the show is happening. Um, and a lot of super duper, super duper uh, on the nose uh, songs like Back to Black being used, for example, yes. when Elizabeth puts on her black turtleneck. That was one of the ones where I was like, OK, OK. Yeah, that one, that one, that one <laughs> I had to roll my eyes a little bit. But some some of them really funny, like in the first episode, I think it's the first episode where, where she is. It might have been the second where she is um, at Stanford with with a guy and and this this Justin Timberlake song is on from his first album. And I'm like, I'm immediately back there. And I was like, okay, this is this is really perfect. Yeah. And it get like she has a love of a certain kind of music. And like that yes. really comes through. Definitely. Brianna, did you have any feelings about the the soundtrack? No, it's it's not I like EDM. I'm always lost <laughs> in these conversations because like I have strong feelings about Thunderpuss 2000 and Ursula and no, and more like, shows all of that and you know, wide boys. If, if they had wide boys in this, I'd have very strong emotions. I don't even know the names of the song they play. It's the background radiation of Verizon commercials to me. So, <laughs> sorry, which I mean, I'm you're so but, sorry, but no, but that's that's actually accurate. But that's like perfect. Like there's you know, but but the the the, the choices I think were good. Uh, one thing we did touch on a little bit and and this is in the I believe this is in the third episode um, and and you asked uh, Rebecca about it uh, Brianna but they recreated 2007 Apple Store oh and it's perfect perfect Yes. I bet if we looked up those posters, they were the same oh, posters and they that totally were in were. the Apple store. Well, yeah. look, I, I didn't want to like become like this this much of a nerd um in our interview with Rebecca, but this is how much of a nerd I am in real life, as you all know, where I can immediately, if I see a phone that someone is using, I immediately can tell you that's the wrong phone. This wasn't Alpha yep. or this wasn't whatnot. Like, and I get angry about it. Um, but I also notice when people get things correctly, there, there are a couple of scenes in, in the Apple store and like, there's, there's one that happens at, like at the iPhone launch day and they get a lot of those details, I think like completely correct where they have the types of bags that people were getting, giving out correct. And then there's one that, that takes place a few months later and they got the right version of of Mac OS X on the computers. It, it was Leopard, and and that was mm-hmm. the correct operating system, and that really made wow. me happy. You also saw like the correct Nano, the correct um, you know, uh, like like uh, you know, vintage of like like they had the the the, the Intel you know MacBooks and the, the black and the white um, plastic ones, and the the correct types of iMacs that were out then, like. They nailed it. And and I was so impressed because I was like, okay, somebody clearly looked at a lot of photography of Apple stores of that era and then recreated this. And like you said, Brie, the posters, I'm sure, were identical. And I really appreciated that. I was I like, truly okay. truly wish we could talk to the set designer. I do too. And maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we can we can reach out and see yeah. if they will make someone available. But because um, I feel like I, I would love to know more about that. But I, I felt like that was just, I think that's a moment that, um, a lot of the people who listen to this show will really enjoy because it's just it's a small detail, but I, it made me feel like okay, if you're going to pay this close attention to these details, 
that makes me think that, like everybody who's involved with this actually really cares about what they're putting out. Mm-hmm. Well, it also it also gives you more faith in the story itself, right? right? Like every time I watch something in Inventing Anna, you know, and it's a little sensationalistic. You're like, eh, this is just some Hollywood stuff that they're inventing, probably. But the fact that they get even those small details. And it's not just the Apple store, like you said. Like, as they're going through the timeline, they're using period-correct electronics for it, right? I mean, it's it's just down to these small details on the set. It's correct. And by getting those details right, I feel like it amplifies the journalism that Rebecca did and, you know, their um, their showrunner did uh, to, to really dig in and find this. So it's really, you know, Bad Blood is a fascinating story because it's true, Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like that is why the dropout is going to have longevity because it's true and they did do the work and it it shows. Definitely. And that's why listeners should should watch this. Like this is a, this is a real work of art. I did have a question for you too. Yeah. If, uh, or, uh, if, uh, if, if we, if I can go here. Yeah. Hit me up. What, what, do, what does this mean for the film Bad Blood? Ooh. Ooh. Because that is, that is, um, Adam McKay who recently did, you know, Don't Look Up and <sighs> Jennifer Lawrence, who he's worked with before. Like Adam McKay has done really good adaptations. He did, you know, the big short and, and he got the rights to the book almost immediately. The story is the same. I mean, there are some details that obviously the book has that the series doesn't, but the characters and the stuff is the same. And I actually went back and I reread Bad Blood after I'd watched The Dropout. So how do we think that's going to work and and what does that mean? Like, I, I think that this show, because it's so good, I think this is going to make the film harder. What, what, what do you two think? I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, this is a story for television, right? To get those kinds of details right. And everything we loved about this, you know, Adam McKay, he's ultimately a comedian, right? Like, he writes about the absurd. He gets a lot of the human truth of that right. But, like, digging in and writing a journalistic tale that's that's that feels true, I just don't know if that's really his strength. I, um, know, I love the- yeah. Go, no, no, go ahead. You, no, you were no, about no, to say ahead. something. I think about The Big Short, which is what I was going to yep. say something about. Because I, I feel like that is the blueprint for this from his filmography. 100%. Is a story that could very easily have been a TV series because it's covering all of this time and all of this dense information in this topic that it, I think one could assume on paper might be too dry um, mm-hmm. but wasn't in, in practice. Um, so I, I, I feel like that's the blueprint. And I feel like for his work, I, I think he could lean even more into the absurdity of it. Yeah. And cause Maybe I, that's what I, I do think do. that there's still room to explore there. Like for me, it's not done yet. And I, even as you mentioned, or one of you mentioned, there's more about, about Sonny, Sonny Balwani in the book than there is in the series. There's there's threads left on the table, and I don't mean that in a bad way because a story is told from a perspective. It accomplishes certain goals. There's still going to be something left on the cutting room floor, and I think that there is still stuff left for a different adaptation to explore or to explore with a slightly different tone. And to me, that could still be entertaining. 
no, I'm still going to watch it. I'm still excited about it. I just, I just, I just, if I were like working on the script. Oh, I wouldn't watch this. That, I would avoid it like the plague. I would too. Because, like, how I, could you? I, I would not, I would not want my head, right? But it would be one of those things that would be difficult to, to, to do. Because I, I agree with you. I think there's way more to explore. And I think that I, I have a feeling that it'll have to be tonally very different. And I have a feeling it will be. Um, but when I watched this, I, I was thinking, I was like, God, I hope that, you know, whoever is writing the script is not watching this because that would really get in my head. Um, because to your point, like there's so much information that they will have to put into the film, but it did make me think about that. Cause I, I, I frankly was expecting this to be going into this. I was like, okay, well, this will be the lesser of, of the two adaptations, um, because I had more faith in like the, the Oscar winners, mm-hmm. you know, to, to do it now. I, because I thought that this was very successful. Um, I feel like there is going to be, um, a bigger like burden for them to kind of overcome because it's not just telling the story, but it's like also, okay, well, this has to be interesting in its own right. And it can't just be a retread of the TV series that we already saw. I just don't know how you could have someone play Elizabeth Holmes and do it better than Amanda Seyfried did. I mean, she's, she's her mannerisms and the voice, like that scene of her doing the voice is so freaking creepy. It is, it's disturbing. And it's, it's every time she's on screen, you cannot take your, your eyes off of her. I mean, it's, 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 I'm sure someone else could do a good job. I just, it, it's like Heath Ledger's Joker, right? Like this Mm. is her role. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. That that is the the acting I think is going to be more challenging than the writing. But what do I know? I'm not an actor. Um any any further thoughts on the dropout which we will certainly be returning to when the finale drops when we're finally allowed to watch the finale. Um episode 7. Watch episode seven whenever it comes out. It has something there we can't talk about. <laughs> yeah. But boy, did we talk about it in our private group chat. So oh. this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Wealthfront. A lot of investment apps make it easy to start trading. But just because it's easy to do, that doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Wealthfront makes it easy to invest and easy to grow your savings with a diversified portfolio. You can start investing in no time with Wealthfront's classic portfolio or make it your own with things that you care about, like socially responsible funds, technology, or hundreds of other investments. Wealthfront was designed by financial experts to help you turn your good ideas into great investments without the hassle of doing everything yourself. Don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to lower your tax bill? They help you do that. Not sure how to rebalance your portfolio or what rebalancing is? They do it for you automatically. Wealthfront is trusted with over $28 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. And the best part is their product is simple and powerful. It has 4.8 stars in the Apple App Store. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to wealthfront.com slash rocket. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash rocket to start building your wealth. Go to wealthfront.com slash rocket to get started today. Our thanks to Wealthfront for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about some desserts. Um, oh, I, I just remembered now 
that the dessert isn't the thing where we each talk about our own thing. So I'm going to, on the fly, decide that dessert is Elden Ring. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just FYI. Okay. I will talk about that. I've been playing Elden Ring from Software's new game. The makers of Dark Souls and Bloodborne, they've made a new game. It's called Elden Ring. And when you cut me open, inside me are it is a black ooze viscous and it smells like the lands between where elden ring takes place i am elden wow. ring uh i have wow. never played a fromsoft game in my life uh, if you're not familiar with the developer it's a japanese company that makes notoriously methodical and difficult games uh they've been described as tough but fair um and this is the first time that i have delved into playing them because i really? don't enjoy I well not not that I don't enjoy. I am historically not good at games. Have have you played any of the Souls likes before? Never Did you played play a Souls anime like Souls? Nay. Uh, you know, uh, Code Vein. Did you play Nay. that? Uh, what about the the demo for Final Fantasy? Uh, uh, whatever. See, uh, Strangers of Paradise. Nay. Oh my God, Simone. I know. So this is my first time delving into the uh, dark fantasy world uh, that the the grim, gritty, not gritty, and like just covered in dirt fantasy world of FromSoft. And I am loving it. I'm crazy about <laughs> it. Oh, my God. It is very compelling. And I think part of that for me is because I, I went into it understanding that it would be methodical and require patience of me. But I am enjoying this incredible, beautiful, strange open world. Um, this has been like jokingly referred to as uh, Breath of the Wild Dark Souls or Breath of the Dark Souls. I don't know what people are calling it, but because it is an open world game, like in the same vein as the recent Assassin's Creed games and as Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, but it is a take on that that is so permissive of however you want to approach it that I'm very much enjoying it. You truly can just go wherever the heck you want and do whatever the heck you want. And you can find the strangest things out there in the lands between. I am, I'm, I'm loving it, honestly. Okay. So I, I like this game and I'm probably about 20 hours into this game. I'm underwhelmed by this game. <gasps> and, and part of it is um, I, I like Souls-like games, but I don't really think FromSoft is doing the best work with that. Uh, Neo 2 is uh, the the one that I really, really fell in love with, uh, as well as Code Vein. Uh, Code Vein is made by Bandai. Uh, it's basically anime vampires uh, doing Dark Souls a lot more story, a lot more attractive in art style. Uh, Neo 2 is freaking fantastic. Uh, like the feel of combat is just better and the design work is less, you know, like generic fantasy thing. Oh, and, I don't feel like this is generic at all. Uh, but uh, it, it doesn't speak to me personally. Uh, but or, or like Strangers of Paradise, which is made with the Neo 2 engine, mm -hmm. is like this formula, but Final Fantasies and like with cool Final Fantasy characters in it like Neon I love Neon she's awesome so I played this and um, 
again, this is just my perspective on it. It is open world and there are a lot of spaces and I enjoy exploring it, but it doesn't feel that different than the other FromSoft games that I've played. There's not like another level of mechanics to go through. Um, like there are new things, certainly, but the the core of it, stick and move, you know, it's it's pretty much the same. So um I, I'm I'm frankly underwhelmed by oh, this. Gee. Yeah, I, I feel I feel very differently as as people mm. are wont to do about video games. I think for me <laughs> Um, the, the breadth of choice in how to approach problems, I really like, like I, I'm playing a, uh, class that mostly does melee I'm playing confessor, but the things that I've seen people do with magic are nuts. Um, and mixing that, uh, like the, there are a lot of options I find in how to approach problems like ag- aggressively or sneaking even, um, I, when confronted with the first sort of gate skill gate of the game where like you are you need to go through literally a gate um (laughs) leading up to the first big big boss margit the fell um you have to go through this narrow corridor and there are a bunch of soldiers there and there's a freaking troll there it's very annoying i got wiped out by them a couple times and then i was like screw this i'm getting on my horse and i rode as far as i could and i found a way around literally around the big wall and i rode up i found like one of the the sites of grace which become you know your fast travel points your respawn points your healing points etc they're bonfires if you've played a previous dark souls game found a few of them saw that i could respawn wherever the heck i wanted uh i flanked essentially and i was able to get to the first boss without doing any of that part that was giving me trouble um And I had the freedom to do that. And then, of course, I snuck back and backstabbed everyone who had been in my way as revenge for what they had done to me. (laughs) Um, But to me, there's just so much to explore, even in the first area. And it's full of weird little guys. And that is very exciting for me as well. Having only heard of FromSoft's weird little guys, the monsters that I am encountering, bizarre, grotesque, fascinating I, I, I'm nuts for them. And I'm always being surprised because I'm always like stepping into a body of water and then a large crab shoots out of it and destroys me with a claw. And I'm like, what? <laughs> excuse me. Um, I posted a video of, uh, I, I tried to sneak and backstab this large long limbed zombie like fellow with a sword on the beach um, and I, I I did successfully backstab him, but then I realized from the very small amount that that took from his health bar that he was very, very strong and I had no business being where I was. So I called my horse and I galloped away and I used this uh, wind gust, which lets your horse like jump up cliffs. And I used the wind gust and I propelled myself high into the air and my horse shot happily into the air and soared directly over where I needed it to land and all the way down to the other side of the cliff where I died from fall damage. (laughs) And it was the funniest thing that has ever happened to me in a video game. I did lose 2,000 runes um, from that little escapade. (laughs) Um, And I was kind of annoyed about that. But the slapstick, like, that... 
it was so funny. It was just so funny watching my horse slowly cruise right over the point where I needed it to land. Oh, God. Highlights. Gaming highlights for me, for sure. I mean, these games are meaningful because they're very high stakes games, mm-hmm. right? Like, like you. So, if listeners have not played a Souls like before, uh, you basically go to a bonfire, and that's your save point. Um, so, you can venture out into the world, and you have a set amount of healing items, and you have to wipe out enemies and somehow make it to the next bonfire. If you die before then all the souls that you got, or runes as they're called in this game, uh, will be out there on the battlefield, and you respawn at the last point with all of the enemies magically alive again. And you have one try, only one try, to make it and recover your souls. And if you don't do that, they're gone forever. You can lose like one or two levels with that if you're not careful. So it creates this really beautiful tension. Like, do I continue exploring this area where it's relatively safe because I've wiped out enemies and I can backtrack? Or do I keep like, or do I just go back and spend my souls and cash in on my progress? Mm-hmm. You're always making those decisions. And because of that, there's this beautiful dopamine hit the entire time you're playing. It's a very addictive game because everything is very meaningful uh, because of that. They, they, I think these games aren't, it's not that they're easy, but they are simple. Like you're playing a melee class and the goal to that is like you memorize the the enemy's attacks, you dodge roll and you stick, like you stick them, you attack them, you move out of range and you're very strategic. And like, if you just hammer attack in these games, you're going to die. So it's, it is a little more accessible, I would say, than certainly Neo 2 is. Uh, but I just... I don't see anything magical that the game is offering other than like an open world. Mm. I mean, I've, I've played this game a lot. <laughs> like I've put like three or 400 hours into Neo too. So, you know, yeah. that's my perspective. Christina, are you playing it at all? No, no, I'm okay. not, but I've enjoyed okay. listening to both of you. Um, okay. I, uh, so, but, but no, I am not. I, uh, I'm maybe when my, my steam deck finally arrives, I mean, I could play it on like one of my consoles, but I don't know. So, no, I'm I not swear it, to but- God, I want to play this thing on Steam Deck so badly. Sorry, you yeah. just introduced a new conversation topic for me. I was going to let us go to bed, <laughs> but no, now we're going to talk about the Steam Deck. <laughs> uh, people have been like getting this thing to run super well on Steam Deck. And yeah, that's what I was looking up actually oh. while you were talking. And I was like, because the more you're talking about it, I was like, okay, this seems like a game I would like, but I would like to play this on a handheld. Yeah. And I, I I think it would be pretty punishing. And it certainly is something that requires your concentration. Like I've noticed if, if I find myself sort of spacing out and thinking about other things and letting my mind wander as I do sometimes when I'm playing, that's when I know I need to stop because I'm not actually going to be able to make progress. Um, so in that sense, uh, it's hard to say how well it would handle our, mentally on a handheld but i just want to be playing it all the time and i don't want to be tethered to my couch which i am because i'm playing it on ps5 and i i just i uh, i want it i want it badly there's no pause function though that's really gonna that's true it's not gonna be a subway game 
Right. I mean, on handheld, it's got to constantly have like a, a connection with, um, you know, like a, a connection with the servers to like, you know, give you all the information for a lot of boss battles. You're going to want to summon in things, which is going to require it to be in online mode. I, 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 I don't like, I'm not one of these people that thinks this game is particularly visually impressive. Like, it's so gray and colorless. Oh, how could that you I just, say it's gray and colorless? It's I, so it, beautiful. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't agree. I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you so many screenshots. <laughs> okay. Please do. It, it just feels very, it feels like a very drab world to me <sighs> personally. Um, you know, uh, the thing you're going to want though is that 60 FPS, uh, uh yes. you know, steadiness for playing, which I don't think like a, any, like, cause it's having a lot of problems on PC. I have heard. Um, yeah. and even on PS five and Xbox, I think the Xbox series yeah. X is the one it's been most successful on, but I don't think it's achieving, full 60 fps on any console that i've heard of like consistently play the ps4 version on the ps5 it it does pretty well that's why i'm doing that funny oh my god ah okay this episode of rocket is brought to you by brava brava is different than all other countertop ovens because it cooks with light which means it's two to four times faster than any other cooking technology and you can make use of the multi-zone cooking by having three different ingredients cook at the same time it makes dinner super simple just select what you're cooking load the tray and press the button and there are thousands of fully automated recipe programs designed by professional chefs There are more than eight manual cooking modes so that you can take full control of the Brava and even create and share your own recipe programs. It can save you time and maybe even save you money because you won't need to eat out. And chances are that home-cooked meal is going to be a lot healthier than going out. And it's so easy, even people who aren't good in the kitchen can use it. You can cook crisp, bubbly pizza in 10 minutes, over-easy fried or poached eggs in 4 minutes, or how about eggs and toast at the same time? Or a full tray of roasted potatoes in 15 minutes, or crispy duck breast, french fries, bacon, and grilled cheese, all with zero preheating. Check out Brava now at brava.com and make sure to enter the code ROCKET at checkout for, let me, let me tell you, $200 off. That is B-R-A-V-A dot com, Brava dot com, and enter the code ROCKET at checkout for $200 off. Our thanks to Brava for their support of this show and Relay FM. This thing looks really good. I would not mind having this on my countertop. It's like a silver box. I'm, I'm into this. Awesome. Uh, Brianna, what are you doing this week? Uh, I'm playing Elden Ring, obviously. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else am I doing this week? Uh, I am going to GDC. Rocket is going to uh, have presence at GDC this year, so um, I'm planning that trip out there. Uh, we will obviously look at what games are there, and I may take a couple of meetings while I'm out nice. there. <laughs> so, I hope you have fun and I bring us good content. Christina, what about you? So I am, um, actually, I'm going to be going into the office for the first time tomorrow Ooh. on the, I've been a number of times over the last two years, but I will be actually like taking the company bus mm. for the first time because, because the office awesome. opened back up this week. So that's exciting. 
Um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm just, uh, I'm online. I'm just doing, I'm just, I've been busy with a bunch of work stuff, but yeah, um, I, uh, I'm watching television. Um, I'm online and, and I'm excited slash nervous about getting, like doing like my commute for the first time. Like that used to be my everyday <sighs> thing. Like, I'm not sure. I'm like, do, I'm, do I have podcasts ready? Like, 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 like <sighs> where, you know, like, where am I going to sit? You know, like it's, 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 it's like the first day of school jitters. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what I'm doing this week. Yeah, my roommate's been having to go in two days a week, and she's like, this is inhumane. (laughs) Uh, I am just going to spend the week playing Elden Ring, honestly, um, mentally. uh, Not to to continue talking about Elden Ring. One more thought that I just remembered. Like, (sighs) the world has been freaking tough. Uh, Obviously, we're recording this, like, as Russia is invading Ukraine. Um, there are only so many things a person can do about that and having something that completely absorbs your mind, even for just like the hour that you're sitting and playing it. It's really nice. Um, so that's another argument for Ring right now. (laughs) Hey, uh, Brianna, where can we find you online? I can find me online at the Brianna Wu, uh, Twitter. And, uh, there you go. Christina, what about you? You can find me at film underscore girl on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the videos that I do at work, including uh, the next episode of The Download. We did not record last week because we didn't want to be insensitive about everything that's happening around the world, but next episode of that at uh, youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at youtube.com slash Polygon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rocket. If you liked it, I hope that you will leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate you doing that, and it helps other people find the show as well. Uh, Thank you for listening. This episode is Terminated. 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 Terminated.